evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Um, someone mentioned, actually, in an email to me that they often can't tell the difference between me and whoever I have on um, because they don't know who we are because we don't announce ourselves. So um, I'm Kira Marcos, and <laughs> joining me tonight is Jilly James. <laughs> so if you're listening to the podcast, this is what Kira sounds like. I don't sound like anything. Actually, (laughs) apparently I sound just like Kira. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But if somebody came to the podcast and had never heard us individually speaking, they might not know which one was which. That's true. So, anyways, tonight our topic is um, characters and worlds that resonate. And this, actually, this topic is born out of a question I got on my website. Um... I do think you're right about the Discord thing. We do, um, um, the quality is much better on Discord than it was on Blog Talk. The Blog Talk quality was terrible. I can't believe I paid for that shit. I'm all over again. We didn't even know it was terrible until we didn't have it anymore. Right? Okay. So, um, the question from, uh, because I didn't prepare. I was over here chatting with you guys and didn't call it up. From Jessica. Um, I've known you to write in several different fandoms, which is great for me because they're all fandoms I enjoy. I've noticed you tend to switch between fandoms, although currently you're doing a lot of Harry Potter fix. I assume this is because that's where the inspiration is right now. I'm just wondering what it is that inspires you towards a particular fandom is it just that you wake up and fancy that today? Or is it that you've seen or read something in particular in the fandom that's gotten you writing? And in a more general sense, what is it about those fandoms that inspire you? Stargate Atlantis has obviously been a fandom you've written the most for. But you have a pretty wide selection of fandoms. And I'm just wondering if there's something about those fandoms that inspired you to go from purely watching them to writing them. So a great question. Um <clears throat> I do have a lot of fandoms. Uh, some of them I don't have a lot in, you know. But but if you go over to my fan fiction list, um, and you and and you look at my my big menu, there there are a lot of fandoms there. Uh, so we're gonna talk about it. I think that uh, ultimately, my um, my fandom um, journey. Well, it began with Star Trek. Uh, and like a lot of women my age, it began with Star Trek. <laughs> um, Star Trek, right? Right? Because, well, in, you know, in reality, Star Trek was the birth of modern fandom. Um, and uh, it also, uh, in a lot of ways, I mean, it established fandoms. Yeah, I think so. Especially women in Star Trek. Um, female fans are the reason that Star Trek um, is what it is today. So, but I think a natural progression from Star Trek, um, I really, really love Star Trek. And then I remember seeing the Stargate movie um, and I really enjoyed it because I like Kurt Russell. Um, it's the only reason I watched it, and uh, I liked it a lot. So when when SG One hit TV, I was like, yeah, okay, I can dig this, I can dig this. But I wasn't really, 
none of the characters resonated. None of them really drew me in. I, I, I enjoyed the show um, up until that whole aura thing. Um, and uh, I was just, I was on board with it. I mean, you know. And then Stargate Atlantis happened and I was like 100% on board with that. I was like, McKay. I am all about McKay. <laughs> that was that was that was it. I'm all about McKay. Um and because uh, John Shepard is all about McKay, John's my unicorn and that's just the way it worked out. <laughs> we both love Rodney. <laughs> um I don't know. I don't know what sparked my interest. And well, actually, um, I do. Um, I was sick one day and I ended up, uh, I was flipping through the channels and um, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban was on some channel that had commercials. I say this because if it hadn't had commercials, I might have actually watched more of it than I did. But I watched a scene near the end where um, I watched the Shrieking Shack scene um, where they confront Peter. Uh, then um, there was a commercial break. Then I watched the scene where they're on the hippogriff, although I didn't know what it was at the time. <laughs> And I was like, you know, I should probably read the Harry Potter books. Because this is pretty interesting, but I can't watch this. And so I changed the channel because there were commercial breaks and it was the movie was almost over. And I was like, okay, I'll just go. I'll just get the books because the books will probably be better. Um, so I got the first book. Then I immediately went to uh, Books A Million. Um and uh, I had I had borrowed the first book from um, my nephew. Uh, so I went to Books A Million after I read the first book and got the box set for the six books that were out. Um, and I read the first three and then I stopped. <laughs> for a very long time. It's a strange place to stop. I know, I know. I was in school. You know, there, there was a lot of shit going on. Um, I was, it was just, you know. And then eventually I went back and I picked the rest of them up. Um, I got them and read them. And then when uh, I bought Deathly Hallows. I bought Deathly Hallows the night it came out. Um, but, you know, Harry Potter... There was so much potential there, and it was really inspiring. And I was like, I need, I need to do something with this. And um, in between reading books one through three, and the rest of the series, um, I wrote the better part of the original version of Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. Because I was all about that ship. I thought that was going to be the ship. I mean. <laughs> yeah what the hell how is it not the ship I don't understand <laughs> um, but for me you know it's about the character 
it's um it's about the characters and um the world they're in and the potential that I see in the world. Um and it's also about how flawed I find the canon. The more opportunities I see to fix shit, the more I want to write in it. There's so much to fix in Harry Potter. And um for Stargate, it's about McKay and Shepard. I mean, obviously. You know, it's about that relationship that didn't happen and should have in canon. Um, and when I started reading in the Harry Potter fandom, I was mostly reading Harry Draco, which is where um, Birth of the Serpent King came from. Um, and eventually where uh, that old black magic came from. So... <clears throat> But then I had this whole terrible, no good, bad experience in my own chat room. And I had to take a break from writing Slash. And so I picked up um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. It's because my husband had recovered a whole bunch of my writing from some, some old floppy disk. The little ones, not the big ones. <laughs> not the disks that were actually floppy. <laughs> Right, right. The the hard and, ones that had no flop to them. <laughs> Shut up, Margaret. <laughs> Go get in the corner. <laughs> oh, oh, I feel so old. I think she's fucking with us on that one. Um, but uh, speaking of Margaret, uh, she's going to um have her second book released. It's called The Summer Princess, and the date is... Yay! The date is... <laughs> She's not telling me. So, September 15th. So, and it's called The Summer Princess, and it'll be available from Cobblestone Press. And the cover is gorgeous. I'm super jealous of the cover. Here's the coming soon page where you can see Margaret's cover. I have no idea why I sang that. I promise not to do it again. It's just beautiful. But I got totally off topic. Oh, speaking of Margaret. Anyways, and so I, um, when I, uh, had my issue with the chat room and I couldn't write slash for a long time because I had been thoroughly <sighs> cock-blocked. <laughs> I started picking it. up. I started. I started picking up Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond and trying to figure it out. Um and uh, and rewrite it, and that's what happened, and that's how I ended up ended up on the website. And then I just wrote some some more and some more and some more. And in the meantime, you know, there was there was rough trade going on, and we were picking up different fandoms, and we were exploring different things. And then then the mothership happened. And then the mothership happened. Yeah. That, didn't that land on many of us? Many of us were abducted <laughs> by that mothership. Chris. Hey, Chris. Chris, the lady who works too much, who needs to semi-retire so she can bask in our fan fiction and write some herself. Yes, definitely. Um, uh, the mothership. I and honestly, again, it boils down to characters because there are fandoms, that, there are shows and books, shows particularly that I absolutely love one hundred percent. That I would not um, 
write in. Uh, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'll probably never write Farscape fanfiction because it's perfect. It is perfect. Um, I would never write in Babylon 5 because it intimidates the fuck out of me. And also, it's really great. I don't think it needs anything from me. That's pretty arrogant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think it needs anything that I, um, that I got. <laughs> but if I did write Babylon 5, I think that Ivanova would, would be my unicorn. I could see that. But also, some fandoms I are mean, really int- intimidating in in, the, in terms of the the fandom itself. The quality of the writing in the fandom is really intimidating. What um, in, in Babylon Five? No, Babylon Five. I don't think it's a very big fandom. But no, that and that's a that's a case of where the fandom, the canon, has it on lock. Just right. Like Firstgate, just like Firstgate. But sometimes where you go, like, okay, we could do more with the canon than this. Either because the canon is unsatisfying, or just because you want to explore it more. Sometimes the fandom has already. You know, it's already it's it's already it's already there. It's like, whoa, you you bitches got it together. Um, I'm just gonna take a step back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know that I want to put put my toe into that highly competent pond. <laughs> oh my um, god, which, yeah, <laughs> that's a whoa. beautiful picture of him. Yeah. Wow. Um, which I don't mean to say like I would I would I I don't I wouldn't write in a fandom that had a lot of competent writers because that sounds really weird. It's not the case, but I was thinking specifically of Inception. It's just sometimes oh, Inception intimidates the fuck out of me. The idea craft in that fandom, it's like what the fuck? I feel you so, I, you, I, uh, you ladies don't need me. Thank you for what you do. I feel so out of my league here. <laughs> um. There are a lot of there are a lot of fandoms that have very competent writers that I would not hesitate to write in. But there's something about some fandoms where you just go and it's like these people are so on the ball that you're like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> and also, um, why do they keep naming their fix French stuff? Right, exactly. <laughs> and it's when like you're, when you're so confident of yourself that you're that, that you're giving your um your English written titles French titles. <laughs> Your English written menu, uh, stories are, are getting French titles. I don't think that, I, that there's room for me over there. <laughs> yeah, it. I don't know. Some fandoms it's just it's weird. It's sort of like okay. I, and I don't. It's not even. An, it's not like. It's not like the fandom is arrogant. Although they may be. I don't know. I don't really interact with them on a fandom level. Not. Not to me arrogant like the way Lord of the Rings fandom is. Sorry, Lord of the wow. Rings fandom. I. I do find you guys really arrogant. Um. But. No, there's just it's like it's like did did was there was there a graduation of fan fiction and these people are like the the next this is like next level was there a master class in fan fan fiction that I missed? Um, I do have several fan fictions um, in Inception that I wreck Jeep. If you go over to Slash World and hit the, and hit the Inception tag, you will find them. Um, uh, my favorite would probably be um, the Plurant. Uh, followed closely by the only living boy in New York. Oh, oh, but no, no. Don't fall in love with the dreamer by um eleven inches. That's the shit. <laughs> well, he did play a serial killer in um um Criminal Minds. It was actually one of the better episodes of, of, of Criminal Minds. He did an excellent job in that in that episode. Um, I don't think he's like a homeless serial killer in any of these pictures. I I think Az needs 
needs help intervention. right now. She does. She does. Cause yeah. I had, I had to go check all three pictures. I'm like, what, in which one of these pictures does he look like a homeless serial killer? He might look like a one a homeless, uh, like not a homeless, but a serial killer in that one in the, in the bathing suit. Maybe. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, that's too much distraction. Stop it. I'm saving I that one. I, I legit can't. I seriously can't concentrate with that. So stop. <laughs> um, that's too much pretty for me to be able to focus. Um, I'm trying to think if I ever seriously got into a fandom that I didn't get into through fan fiction. I'm trying to think. I, I'm looking at my fandom list. <laughs> I'm looking at my fan. What I mean by that is that I, I don't think there have been a few times when I've been like watching a show or a movie or something and gone, I'm really curious about what the fandom's doing with this. I've always regretted that curiosity. Um, right. What, the first time I can think of that I did that was on the TV show Prison Break. <gasps> and I was sitting there. I'm like, I don't know. Can I, I mean, guess. Oh, feel free, feel free. What? What's the, the big um, ship? At the, the big ship at the time. Well, probably the brothers. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. But also, I imagine it was full of prison rape. Oh yeah, that too. So, I was like, I was really curious where where the what the fandom was doing with it. So I went and you know hopped over the archive, looked it up. I'm like, oh no, closed closed it down. So that didn't go very far. Um, but. No, I do. I'm trying to think. I don't think that there's a single fandom I've ever written in that I didn't get exposed to first through fandom. Um, I don't. Th I don't think so. I think. I think it was. Well, that's not true. I was. I was watching the X Files. I had never occurred to me to write fan fiction in it. Never. I, I, actually, writing fan fiction had never occurred to me. I mean, I was aware of fan fiction, sort of, like peripherally. I knew some things some people did, but it never occurred to me to write fan fiction until someone handed me some X Files fan fiction. And I was like, what is this? And it was so much better written than I, well, for starters, than I had expected, but also better written than the stuff I was buying and paying for. So right. I, was, I was flummoxed by that. I was just flummoxed by it. Um, now at the time, I had I had quite a few friends who were big X Files fans. Um, you know, we we'd get together and watch X Files, and they were into uh, writing fan fiction in a variety of fandoms. Um, they also wrote, um, like one of them really wrote in some very uncomfortable fandoms for me. But you know, that's a completely separate issue. Um, and then um, one of them was interested in in, in you know, bouncing ideas around for writing X-Files fan fiction. And it just, I don't know, I, I think having a bounce buddy really helped in terms of coming up with ideas and then kind of like sitting down to try to write something the first time. And I was really captivated. Now, when I watched the show, I was really captivated by one particular character, which was a character, which is a relatively minor character in this show arc, which was Alex Krychek. And um, so it was really easy for me to... To, to, to focus on him as a central character. And so that kind of was where me focusing on a, on a specific character started from was that's in my X-Files roots, right? It's like I get interested in a specific character and I think, and then, yeah, the next fandom for me was one I got exposed to through reading a crossover, a fusion, a Sentinel fusion with X-Files. 
and I started, I, and I had, and this was after I had watched the TV show. I mean, the TV show was already off. I think the TV show, it may have been like in the last year or something. I think it was in the last year when I read this, read a crossover with the Sentinel and, um, I didn't find the show. Like when I watched the show, I didn't go, oh, I have to go check out fan fiction for this. It never, it, again, didn't cross my mind. But I read what somebody else had done with it. And I was like, oh, this is really an interesting thing to do with the Sentinel. And then I started just reading in the Sentinel proper. I regret all my life choices. But through this reading the Sentinel, there's a ton. That was probably during that whole big surge of GDP thing, right? Yeah, that's when that was getting started, I think. So... There was what like, does GDP stand for? Um, guide something. <laughs> guide, uh, guide development program. Oh! <laughs> okay, gross. Okay. Right. And since, and since we know what this series is about, it, it's. It'll be clear. I'm not bashing the author. I've never read the GDP series. I have no opinion on the content um, as far as like uh, writing quality, writing quality goes. Um, but it's a slave AU and I don't read slavery and I am vehemently opposed to slavery, of course, because I'm a decent human being. Um, and so and, I don't. It's certainly the fetish the idea of, of it. reading it fetishized to be uh, entertaining. Yeah, the fet I find the, the fetishization of slavery to be disgusting. And um, if people choose to write that, again, it, as Kira said, it's no bash on their the quality of their writing. But I find that people would fetishize and sexualize something that is so abhorrent to be just really disgusting. So, But I also um, have a problem with lack of consent, and slavery equals 100% lack of consent. Um, there is no consent possible between... Um, a slave owner and a slave. No. And I don't care how people try to rationalize it. There, it's just not possible. It's still rape. Yeah. So, and I see people try to go, oh, you know, he bought him to rescue him. So, you know, he, he has, a, he has his autonomy, even if he, he can't, even, you know, even if he can't truly, um, even if he isn't truly free, I'm like, nope, nope, shut up. If there's sex going on between those two, no, it's rape. Stop it. Anyway, um, so I started reading in this within the Sentinel fandom. I mean, there were crossovers with all these other shows, right? There's all these other shows people had done, you know, Stargate. Um, there's actually the Sentinel was so popular, crossed over with various parts of the Stargate franchise. And I think this was the first time I read Stargate was um, with through like the um, Stargate uh, Cascade to. SGC to Cascade or something like that. It was mm -hmm. a it was a Yahoo groups that focused specifically on that um, crossover, and um, and Stargate didn't capture me in the, right off. I don't know why. I liked it. I read everything I could get in it, and while I was writing um, Sentinel stuff, yep, Ellie Sentinel Magnificent Seven was how I got interested in the Magnificent Seven, and I went I went on a binge in Magnificent Seven for. I don't know. I, I think I was lost in it for like a year. <laughs> um, but anyway, but it was like, so this is so, so I'm getting, I'm, I'm, this is what's capturing, what captures my attention first is what I want to read. And then it's like, do I want to write this? And um, I never quite got there with Magnificent Seven, although I was close. 
Um, but it was when I read the first, I read a crossover, a Sentinel, Sentinel thing with NCIS. And I had seen NCIS, the TV show, of course. I, my family watched it religiously. So I was like, huh, I can really see this. I can really see this a lot. And I was really, um, I think one of the things that really worked for me at that time when I was reading and a lot of the early stories that I read that had, and there were, there were very few NCIS Sentinel crossovers back then. I mean, we're talking like that I could find less than a dozen. There is just, it just didn't really exist. Probably less than 10. Um, most of them, Tony was the, was a Sentinel. He wasn't the guide. I think Tony being the guide is the more popular trope now, but most of the early ones, Tony was a Sentinel because in Canon, um, Tony, had exceptional sense senses. He smelled things other people didn't smell. He had perfect vision. Um, he had, you know, he heard things. He heard really well. Um, <laughs> badass. I was like, what's that Basra? <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm, I was like, I was really interested. They picked up on these elements of his, but they also did something as they leveled out Tony's characterization. So there's some really talented writers who to me like leveled out, and, and picked up the better aspects of his characterization. Because one of the things that had frustrated me in the show was how uneven his characterization was. It's like sometimes he, I really liked him and I could really like the character. He was my favorite character on the show. And then he'd be a complete idiot. And I'd be like, why are they so all over the place with this character? And so fandom like leveled this character out and made him better. I'm like, oh, I like him so much more. And um, in a lot of ways, fandom can be like a retreat or a sanctuary from what is actually happening in the show uh, that you can't tolerate mm -hmm. <laughs> or in I, the books or in the movie. I think fandom, I think some early writers in fandom, right. That are, you know, way back in early days for me, that would be like KSL, um, Lady Raw, um, people that I read first. They're the ones who helped me fall in love with him as a character and for me I have to it's not just a fandom that does it I have to find a character I really connect with that makes me want to to write for that fandom in that fandom and it's not just liking fan fiction as I've got to have a character that I really zoom in on I think part of the reason why I didn't like jump on Magnificent Seven from a writing perspective is that the character I most was interested in was Ezra. And I, to me, he was the hardest to get my, my head around how to write him. Um, and I think maybe at the time I was reading it, it was a little bit beyond my skill at that time to handle him as a character. I, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I don't think it would be now, but at the time I didn't feel like I had a way of really handling approaching him. And, um, yeah, Vin, Vin is one of my favorites, too. And Vin, also, I don't know that I... Those are the two characters I'd had the hardest time writing were the two characters I liked the most. So I didn't really know what to do with that, so I just kind of, like, let my interest in that kind of... Um, and while I really liked Jim and Blair, I felt there was such a wealth of fan fiction about them that I was, I was much more captivated by the idea of the Sentinel Guide trope applied to other fandoms. And so through these other fandoms, I kind of wended my way into reading other things and through, through the Sentinel. Um, and then 
don't know, Tony, Tony really just, he was, he was the first character since Alex Rychek that really captured my imagination and really made me um, want to write him. I honestly do not remember how I got into the Buffy fandom. It probably was through a Sentinel Guide story would be my guess, but I cannot honestly, I can't think of what, which one, but I kind of did a, did a, you know, fell deep into the Buffy fandom for a while too as a reader. But again, there was no character there that I was really that interested in writing. I mean, I had a couple characters I liked, but just, I wasn't, I wasn't invested. And so I hadn't read, even though I had seen Stargate Atlantis, um, I hadn't really read any SGA fan fiction. Not much, anyway. Nothing that wasn't just incidentally SGA. Like it was an SG-1 story that had the SGA people in it. And until I read, I think, I think, I mean, I, like I said, I'd read some, but I didn't think I was really captivated by it until I started reading some of your works. Hmm. And um, Well, thank you. I'm a captivating bitch, you guys. <laughs> she is. And I was really, became really interested in Rodney as a character. Um and which surprised me because when I first when I saw SGA when it aired, I I thought Roddy was entertaining, but he didn't capture my imagination that way. But again, this is this is the same thing that I my experience is usually that fandom has a huge influence on on me. It's like I read these stories that flesh out these characters so much better than they were ever fleshed out in the show. And then I really go, okay, that's the character I like. That's the character I like. When it, um, when it comes to McKay, um, when I, when you, when you first meet him on um, SG one, I was like, Haha, I like him more than I should. <laughs> He's an asshole. Yeah. He's my favorite. And then they were like, they announced the, the Stargate Atlantis. And I was like, okay and they started talking about casting and i thought okay and then they cast david hewlett and i was like yes <laughs> i'm on board the strain she's like but, i'm all in but uh uh cute fact um mckay was not originally part of the sga cast um which is why sometimes you will find in really old fan fiction before we found out rodney's middle name he will be um Rodney Ingram McKay because originally that character was going to be called Dr. Ingram and when the casting call got on out David Hewlett uh, uh, tried out for the part and they were like well if you want to be part of it we're just going to make you McKay and he's like okay <laughs> yeah so. fine that's like that's fine um, but it's it's interesting how <laughs> I think that one of the things one of the pre one of the notions I had early on writing in fandom was that there was, there was a lot more rigidity in my idea of it. It was like, if you were going to write in a fandom, if you were going to like latch onto a character like, like Tony or, or Rodney or whatever character or, or whatever you want, but you had to write in that fandom if you wanted to write about that character. And I think that fandom has become a lot less, rigid in that way which is really good because now because like for instance um like the only character i really i liked i liked most of the characters on the show leverage but the only character i really really was attached to was elliot and right i have I mean, no I, parker makes me laugh my ass off but yeah. elliot elliot Elliot's spencer mm. yeah 
Parker is great, but I really love Elliot. And I was like, so, but I didn't want to write leverage. I didn't, wasn't really interested. I mean, I have written one leverage story, but I wasn't interested in writing in the leverage fandom really. And so what I would do for one challenge was not what I would necessarily just sit down to write. But I think because, you know, as, as my give a fuck broke or I got older or I just spent more time in fandom or things changed, whatever, whatever you want to contribute it to, I realized I don't have to write I don't have to follow the conventional guidelines of a, a fandom in order to write with a character or in that fandom. It was like when I first started writing in NCIS, the general thought was that your pairing had to be from within the fandom. And, you know, going outside that, the, pe the few people who had done it, it was few and far between people who hadn't, you know, yeah, there was a time when writing anything but Gibbs and Dinozo in NCIS was like an astronomical sin. <laughs> yeah, really. Or there was the, you know, there was the, well, there was the Tiva people. But and the, of the Flashers, there was the, the people that, that small people, that small group that were like, no, we will have Tim Tony. We will have Tim Tony. I was like, nah, I don't see it. Um, and so if you were going to, the idea of writing like a different character, Tony with a different character, it was like it was like taboo. It's like you don't do that, you know. If you're going to be a part of this fandom, you you write in the fandom, and it's like you got to find your pairing within the fandom. And um, and then I think nope. one day some, some people went, <laughs> "Yeah, fuck you, I'm gonna do what I want." And I think that I'm gonna do what I want was really liberating because it allowed me to take characters that I like and put them where I want and just move them around like little chess pieces, and it's it's so much more satisfying. Uh, Again, um, I would think my next big, my next like big investment in a fandom was in Teen Wolf, and um, that was totally fan fiction related because I had never seen the show at then. I mean, I didn't start real. I didn't even watch any number of episodes until um, until I was actually trying to write stuff that was episode dependent. I mean, that was like, and then I was like, oh, it was torture. I was like, I don't want to watch this crap. <laughs> I'm like, it's so weird. You're writing in a, yeah, I am adaptable. I'm, I'm writing in a fandom where I love the fan fiction. I love the characters. I hate the show. It's awful. So I, um, yeah, I, and it, that was totally, I don't, I don't even know why I picked up my first Team Wolf piece of Team Wolf fan fiction. It was probably something I read on Rough Trade. I'm not a hundred percent sure, <laughs> but it was for some something had to have been there to tease me and go you gotta you gotta read this you know pick it up and read it um same thing with the hobbit you know people i i knew had started writing in it and i read their stuff i probably i could probably bring, blame my interest in the hobbit on star kindler and um me too yeah <laughs> but i mean that's a case of where i had read the book right um I could, I, I had read The Hobbit when I was a kid, you know, I'd read it probably once as an adult and uh, I enjoyed the movie. And then I, but I didn't think about writing Hobbit fan fiction. It just never, it just didn't cross my mind. It's like my brain. I don't know why there's just this funny little disconnect where I have to, it, there has to, I have to really see chemistry and a pairing on screen for me to wonder what the fandom is up to and go check it out. And that doesn't really happen all that much with the shows and movies that I watch. So, um, 
anyway, so The Hobbit, um, even though I really saw chemistry between the actors in, who played Bilbo and Thorin, it, they really were good on screen together. I wasn't particularly interested in the fandom. And then I picked up one of Starkindler stories and all of a sudden I was very interested in the fandom. I think my first story actually might have been the Oak and the Ash. Sentinel. Yeah, that would do it, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would do it. I mean, you know, um, I'm I'm huge into um, Sentinel crossovers. And um, The Oak and the Ash is by Sunrider. Uh, but, uh, and Coats and Customs was probably one of my second or third picks. Coats and Customs is stunning. It's just, it's an amazing fic. It's an AU fic, and it's just great. Um, I it's a series actually, and I, I highly recommend it. Um, but uh, <clears throat> but I do think that my that my crossover drug of the Sentinel is the reason I started reading The Hobbit. Um, and you can't actually um, go wrong with um, this dude's name just fell out of my head. The actor who plays Thorin um, in a beard. Richard Armitage. I, Richard Armitage. What? <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> you grew a beard. Can I just go on record and say that I am really on board this whole beard trend? <laughs> Mo most people. There are a few people the beard does not suit. It's like, oh, no. I mean, but, off. you know, okay, like, um, earlier you she shared a picture of Dwayne Johnson, um, The Rock, with a beard. Looking like a total daddy. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that's about my first thought. Was whoa, daddy? Um, <laughs> Chris Evans, mm. looking good <laughs> with the beard. Um, oddly, I don't like Bradley Cooper too much with a beard. I agree. And Henry Cavill does not work for me with a beard at all. And Daniel Radcliffe went from boy to grown ass man when 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 he grew a beard. Right. It was like, <laughs> okay, baby, <laughs> I'm glad you're an adult now. I don't feel so weird. <laughs> Thank God he didn't grow that when he was 16. I'd put myself in therapy. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> the other, what's what's his face? Matthew, what's his face when he got the beard? Me, even J.K. Rowling was like, oh my god. <laughs> He put grew on some up. clothes, Matthew. Put on some clothes. Put on some clothes. And, and I don't know, shave or something. Uh, these days, I think that we're saying that, you know, depending on the beard, if, if it's if it's the right beard on somebody, that I think more men than not do better in beards. But uh, there's some men it just doesn't work well with. Especially if they let it get a little out of control. I'm not really on board with a neck beard. No. Um, Jack Foley is the actor model that's playing he's playing the part of Ragnarok in my um in my nano very good looking man um his beard game is on point but I'm really not on board with the neck beard and um I just they have to they have to bring it they have to be I'm also not on board with the Abe Lincoln beard you know the the no mustache thing I don't want it either no, no, no. It's got to be more than a beard. It could be goatee. It could be, but it, it's got to be the whole thing. I actually don't like a mustache by itself either, typically. 
it, it's got to be, it's got to be, it, we need top and bottom. Okay. It's got to be the mustache and the beard. <laughs> um, I don't like to see Robert Downey Jr. without facial hair. I'm like, baby, no, put your, <laughs> yeah, put, put, put the goatee back on. Can't, what, the, what is going on here? Stop it. Come on now. Um, but so when, when it comes, when it came to fandoms that like captured my interest, most, most of the time for me, fandom, the interest was captured through fan fiction. Um, it was not actually typically the source material. Um, I'm double checking my fandom list. Now there are times when I've seen something, I will say the Star Trek reboot made me want to write in Star Trek. Um, I just never got, it's one of those things I just hadn't gotten around to or an idea hadn't presented itself or that I just, I hadn't come up with anything that really made me want to get there, but the reboot made me want to. It was one of the rare times I can think of where I was just like, yes, this, this, the re, the, the way they've reimagined this, the recasting, I'm all on board with this. And then I just never quite got there um, in terms of the actual doing it. I had a couple of like mini things started, but it just kind of never hadn't ever gone anywhere um but for me i would say i would say the majority of the time that what i write it's been other fan fiction writers who have influenced me to see the potential in a character or to see the potential in storylines or um to see where, how far you can go with a character or make me want to go further. It's like, Oh, they took them so far and I just want to just keep pushing that envelope. So, yeah. So I think I'm, I'm very influenced by what I read. Sometimes for me, um, the world building is more interesting than um, the characterization that I'm presented with. I think that's most obviously true with Harry Potter. Um, and what she, what, Rowling gave us was a huge amount of potential. Um, and it's really interesting to explore that potential and to explore um, the world of Harry Potter, uh, even if you're not using the character of Harry Potter. Yeah. And a lot of times I am more focused on the character than I am the world. But when it comes to Harry Potter, the, yeah, the unrealized potential is actually mind blowing shadow. It's like, there's so much there to play with. Um, <clears throat> and while I do enjoy the character of Harry Potter, obviously uh, there are, there are other, there, there are other dynamics at play, but for the most part, it's the character first then the world, but there are exceptions. I think I have the same exception in um, other fantasy um, uh, fandoms as well. Um, I find the potential of um, the Hobbit world uh, fascinating. Um, now you can't say much. You can't say that Tolkien left much untapped when it comes when it comes to his own mythology <clears throat> of uh, of Middle Earth. But I still think there's room for development. Yeah, there's some things I don't think he explained, maybe because they weren't interesting Important. to him. Yeah. Um, you know, I really resisted Harry Potter. I kind of still resist it in a lot of ways. It. When, when I. Ugh, I had been reading the books to my sister at the time, and I was like, all of these X Files writers are jumping ship for Harry Potter. 
and I didn't understand it. And without exception, it's like I've decided to stop writing in, in the X Files, and they're leaving their works in progress. They're like they're abandoning their works in progress, and they're all going to Harry Potter. I didn't get it. I did not get it. I was like, I don't understand what is happening here. Why that? I mean, that, that was my reaction. I would talk to my friends. I'm like, why that? Why Harry Potter? And it's not like I didn't understand what the what the what it was about. You know, I've been reading it. But it wasn't, it just didn't, it didn't do anything for me, right? To me at that point in time, you know, we weren't very far into it. We were probably two or three books in. It just wasn't interesting. And this was the books, right? So it wasn't, there wasn't any movies. There wasn't any like visualization for me. I just, I thought it was a kid's story. So I think that I didn't start to see the potential in it until fandom got a hold of it and started digging into, well, for starters, the series needed to be finished. I needed to get beyond the first couple of years you know, kids going to school thing. That really was, for me, it was a bedtime story for my sister. It wasn't. And then we got to Prisoner of Azkaban. I went, this is way too old for you. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It got dark quick. It it got dark dark. really quick. Real quick. The first two, there were some problems in the first two, but by the third book, I was like, holy crap. When they brought, when they introduced Dementors, I was like, (laughs) What is this shit? And I was, to me, they reminded me of the ring race and um, I was not amused. So um, anyway, so once it, but once the, it was, it was fully realized everything was done and fan fiction writers really dug in and lost their minds on it. That again, it, it wasn't the source material that got me interested in Harry Potter. It was reading what other people had, where they had taken it, the ideas they had explored. Um, the things that they had looked at and gone, there's a problem there that I want to address, or there's a plot hole, or there's something unanswered. And that to me was so much more interesting than the books or the movies. There's there's a kind of chat room about authors not liking fan fiction and trying to stop it. Here's the thing about that. It's like sticking your finger in a light in a um in a faucet. Um these authors, they can't control that. And trying just alienates their fans. And honestly, it's bad for them to try, in my opinion. I, I've, I'm all about copyright law. I think they should absolutely hold, you know, hold the line at people making money on their, on their copyrighted works. But how many of these authors who have embraced or who have at least been hands-off about fandom have made more money because word of mouth, because fandom talks because fans and also paramount i think really taught um the rest of the publishing um and movie making world a serious lesson when they tried to sue star trek fans um for for writing fanfic and it didn't work out in their favor um the backlash was outrageous um and they lost fans. They lost. Uh, they to this day, there's still a stain on that, you know. Uh, and I don't think um, most authors want to be associated with that kind of um, legal bashing of their own fans. Right. It's just. I just think it's. I think it's. I think trying to draw a line in the sand over over fan fiction is a bad idea. And how many people go to the source material once they start once they learn about a new fandom through fan fiction? Um, how many people have gone in gone and back picked up the Harry Potter books because of fan fiction? How many people have 
have gone to see the Hobbit movies because an author they love started writing in the Hobbit. And so they started, they went off to saw the, see the Hobbit movies. There have been people on, and then, an unfortunate number of people have told me they started watching NCIS because they read my fan fiction. I apologize. <laughs> I've had that happen with Stargate. Um, people say, oh, you know, I read your fix. So I went over to Amazon and watched all Stargate. When does Jensen Ackles join the cast? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When is he getting there? Um, in some cases, like, oh, especially, especially the Stargate folks, they tend to, it's not uncommon for like on Black Friday or whatever for the entire series to be on for Stargate or Stargate Atlantis to be up for sale for really good price. How many people have bought the entire franchise because they learned about it through fan fiction after it was already off the air? Fan fiction keeps these fandoms alive. It keeps people continuing to buy the DVDs. It keeps people buying the books. It keeps people engaged. And most of the archives will respect an author's wish to not have fan fiction of their work. And so they won't even have a category for them. How, how, how well are the, the, the most militant of these authors, how well are they doing now? I'm not going to name names, but there's one author that I can think of that she pretty much shot herself in the foot as far as her fans went by being absolutely intolerant of anything related to fandom. Her and um, <laughs> the other one. Yes, thank you. Mm. Oh, but you know, honestly, just <sighs> how many people can you watch one character fuck before? Right. And also, if the author themselves is basically writing fan fiction of their own work, where is the room for anybody else? <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. <clears throat> yeah. So, it. I mean, I don't think some of these authors did themselves any favors by being hostile to, to fandom. Um, there was one writer who had a, who, who posted a bunch of lengthy rants or something like that on, on, um, Facebook about the evils of fan fiction and how she would never okay or be all right with fandom. I don't, I'd never even heard of her, to be honest. I'd never heard of her. Um, lengthy, lengthy rants with this kind of thing. And somebody responded to one of her rants and said what I was thinking. I said something like, Oh, you're just butthurt that nobody wants to write fan fiction of your work because it's just not that interesting. And I was like, I was thinking it. Boom. I was thinking it. I was thinking <laughs> it, but I, I didn't want to say it. Um, because I had KU at the time, and one of her books was in KU. So I thought, well, let's see if there's anything here, you know, is there anything here for her to be sanctimonious about? I read like two pages and returned it. Um, so anyway, uh, but authors who, I mean, honestly, if you're, if you're, if you're a show creator, a content creator, um, whether it's, whether it's a TV show or a book or a movie, the thing you most want to have happen in the world is for fandom to latch on to whatever it is in your show that is good. And if you had an iota of sense of talking to you, Team Wolf and MTV, um, you would you would look at what fandom was most interested in, and you would make that fucking happen. Like we are going to we are going to milk this for everything we've got because there's a lot of disposable income out there to spend money on our merchandising and you know meet and greets with the actors and whatever you know we're going to milk this but they don't you know, they're idiots but they still now MTV did with Teen Wolf they did try to milk it 
as long as they could before they had to put up or shut up. They really got all in on what, what Fanny was encouraged by. Um, until the moment came to actually, you know, do something about it. And then they went, well, we're not really going to do anything about it. <laughs> we, we, we didn't think you took us seriously when we had these ship awards and the ship, the voting about which ships do you like best. We didn't really think you guys were going to take us seriously about this stuff. Right? Right, Jeep? It's just... They really, they really played it up. They got the actors to play it up, and then somebody said, "Okay, now you're going to put it into the plot." Kidding, right? I think the actors were actually on board with the ship. Well, they were, but they were also encouraged because MTV was really publicizing it, and they were doing. They had fanfic. MTV had fucking fan fiction awards, right? So MTV did, and they. I think it massively contributed to Teen Wolf's early success. Is MTV got all in on where fandom was going with it, and then the moment that they basically were like, "Okay, we're going to have to do something with this," you know, Jeff Davis and MTV went. Um, okay, you guys don't don't talk about this anymore. Pretend like it doesn't exist. You're not allowed to be seen in public with each other. It would actually make my day if Tyler H and um, Dylan O'Brien actually got together. <laughs> right. In reality, right. and I'm not. Yeah. I don't do RPF, but it would actually just amuse the fuck out of me. Yeah. Anywho, um, look, Jeff Davis was never going to give Derek a happily ever after. I agree. Derek is his his stand-in for his ex, so that wasn't going to happen. Also named Derek, whipping boy, because he's got issues, big issues. But I do also think that MTV flinched. I do think they did because I think that they kind of like had to deal with like you know. Um, are we going to have a, you know, on this po very popular TV show, are we going to have a central pairing that's gay? Are we ready to go there? And I don't think they were. Speaking of I gay, did you guys see that they're going to do, they're going to do a revival for, um, the L word? I did see that. I thought that was very interesting. L word, the Q generation. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. But I'm on board because I saw Shane in the preview and Shane's my favorite. <laughs> now, the funny thing is, I it's interesting because when I, I watched, I watched Queer as Folk religiously. Um, I was never interested in writing it, ever. And I didn't really pursue the fandom. I was like, what do I need fandom for? I've got the show. Right? <laughs> it, was, it was one of those weird things. It was like, you know, I mean, there were there are some things I've incidentally read that, like, had crossovers into Queer as Folk, but it's one of those fandoms I've never sought out. Um, there's, a, there's a crossover with SGA where um, Brian and McKay actually have a, um, a previous relationship. Um, and John is like a thousand percent jealous. <laughs> He's like not on board with what? <laughs> You're gonna do what? <laughs> now there's a plot device that could apply to any fandom. So and so is character X has had a past relationship with Brian. Uh, <laughs> who else would they have Hell had a past no. relationship? 
<laughs> Who else would they have had a past relationship with but Brian? Um, but I do, I think that that's what, it, I think that a character has to capture my interest. We've, we've talked before about what makes some fandoms take off. We had a whole podcast about what makes some fandoms really take off and become popular with the fandom, with, with, the, with the fans. And usually, what, I think what we agree to is most of the time it's because there's shit we need to fix. Not always, but most of the time, the big ones, it's the shit we need to fix. Um, or we're bitter about it being canceled or whatever. Um, but for me, when it comes to what am I going to want to get into writing? Reading, I mean, I, I, I've read in hundreds, hundreds of fandoms, I swear. It's like through crossovers or because a, a, an author I like um, picks it up and they, they do something and I'm curious or just, especially if an author, I, I think that they've got really good style writes in a fandom I'm not familiar with. I will, I'll, I'll give it a try. I'm like, okay, I don't know anything about this, but I'll follow I'll Lady Raw wherever she wants to go. <laughs> she has one ship that I can't quite get there with, but, um, she was, that was like one of her first ships. So I'm not, is she, where she goes in the future? Sure. I'll give it a try. Um, but um, it when it comes, I think when it comes to what I'm going to write is I really have to have more than just the world. I need the character that I'm really zoomed in on, that I'm really really captures my attention. And once I'm there, you know. Do I want to? And the, sometimes the question is, do I want to rescue them from where they were and put them elsewhere, or do I want to, you know, go all in and in their in their um, I want to go all in on in in their in their canon. Um, so there, I was are, at, there are there are fandoms that I read in that I um wouldn't write in or haven't written in yet. Um, I actually have several works in progress for Inception. Um, I just... Like I said, it's intimidating. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's I, a difficult admission to make. I mean, you know, it's really intimidating over there. Guys, have you looked? <laughs> um, I like to read sometimes in Lord of the Rings, but I wouldn't write it because the fandom's full of dicks. Oh, but also because unlike for me, when it comes to Lord of the Rings, unlike with um, The Hobbit, there's not a character or pairing that I want to hang my hat on uh, in, in Lord of the Rings. No, I agree. So that to me is the, really the defining difference between the two, is I am a big Bilbo fan. And I'm not... There was nobody that I... I mean, I, 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 I love Sam. I don't want to write fan fiction about him, though. I love Sam. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I think the character that I enjoy the most in Lord of the Rings is Gimli. Um, and I enjoyed the... Um, that part... That section of Coats and Customs with Legolas and Gim Gimli. With the um, with the cave of, with the crystal cave, whatever it was, whatever it is, I haven't read it. I don't know. Um, 
Well, Gimli finds the cave the in the book, um, but in this in the fan fiction series, they go there to make a life together, him and Legolas. Um, and it's you know, I appreciate the pairing as a reader, but I'm not really interested in writing it. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. There are quite. A, I mean, I've read. I at one point I had read some some Lord of the Rings fan fiction. Some stuff was exceptionally well written, and while I could appreciate some pairings, like okay, the pairing, you know, it was good. It just, I would never write it. I was interested. I enjoyed reading it. I would never write it. But the same thing, the same thing actually is true for me in in many fandoms that I do write in. It's like okay, I can I can appreciate that pairing to as a reader, but I would never get in and write it. One of the um, more interesting Lord of the Rings fan fictions I ever read was a short story, um, and, it, and it's about Gimli and Eo, Eowyn. 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 Um, Gimli is in love with Legolas, Legolas and doesn't believe it will ever go anywhere. Um, and she's similarly in love with Aragorn and knows it's never going to go anywhere. Um, and the, uh, I guess, the night before. Um, Helm's Deep, the, the 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 Battle of Helm's Deep. Um, she she takes Gimli to bed, so they can have oh. a little comfort for each other because they don't know what's going to happen. Um, and I was like, "Why am I liking this so much?" <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was like, "Why is this? Why do I like this so much?" It was actually it was it was very charming. It was a very charming fic about. Um, um, about unrequited love and and friendship and um, comfort is very good. I couldn't give you the name of it if I tried. Um, but uh, yeah, sometimes you come across something like, like that in fan in fandom, and you're like, "Holy shit! Look what they did!" <laughs> but I wouldn't write it. But it was it was it was nice. In Inception, I am all aboard the Arthur Ames train. I will never be anywhere else. I don't understand anybody who could actually ship Dom with anybody because the dude <laughs> is nuts. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's nuts. No, there isn't a single character in that movie who deserves that. Not even Fisher. He really didn't do anything. <sighs> and I'll be truthful. I watched Inception despite the casting of Leonardo DiCaprio. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan. That the, isn't that the truth? I'm, I'm just not a fan. And, um, yeah. One of my favorite... Arthur and Ames fic is actually one where they were um, a couple before Mal's suicide um, and they um, Arthur had to make the choice to stay with Dom um, or he made that choice and uh, it infuriated Ames but Ames loves him so he's willing to wait and so when the Inception thing comes up that's why he says yes to it because because he just wants Arthur back Um and Arthur is staying with Cobb out of loyalty to Mal. Um, and so after Inception, um, Arthur comes home and they're living in Africa and they adopt a baby. 
And it's just the most adorable thing you've ever. Oh my God. It's so good. They got the little girl. And then there's a little boy, I think. Oh, it's just adorable. I do not have the title. I don't. I'm so sorry. But I know that she is from an orphanage um, in Africa. So she's so she's African. And when they're getting ready to send her to school, um, Arthur was very concerned to make sure that she had similar supplies and clothes and stuff to all the other kids in school because she already had two gay dads <laughs> on her plate and he didn't want to add anything else to it. <laughs> and it was, it was on AO3. Um, and it was just adorable. And Ames decided he wanted another baby. And Arthur was like, we don't need another baby. We don't need another baby. So, so Ames started leaving stuff around the house from when she was a baby. Um, to remind Arthur of how awesome it was. And Arthur wasn't buying it. And he'd gone up to the attic to get something and found a trunk full of her baby clothes. And then he, he like, okay, yeah, we can have another baby. <laughs> we can get another baby. <laughs> it's very cute. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to share my very first, um, the very first Inception fanfic, sort of, that I ever read. Okay. Enjoy. Just go read that real quick. It's a cartoon. It's a little comic that somebody did. It's the very first one, very first one I ever read. Oh, I have to log in. You have to log in? It's 18 plus. Well, that's tragic. I'll just, see if this I'll just log in my Facebook. Let's see if this will work. See if that and works. I haven't logged into Facebook. Um, yeah. Um, logged around with Facebook and like um, since the last time I had to come over here and cuss somebody out. Did that? Did that link? Did the image link I gave work? Nope. You still have to be logged in, huh? Well, that's too bad. Anyway, the um. Like the the second line in this little comic is just eat your damn cupcake, and um, <laughs> Sin and I decided that that was their code for "I love you" was just eat your damn cupcake. So we had a wide variety of images that just said "just eat your damn cupcake." Now the Hoyden is one of those authors where you know if, if they're writing in a fandom, you might want to give it a check. <laughs> I mean, I right? do. I I, I'm like, I, I don't hesitate. It's like, hmm, the Hoyden's writing in this new fandom. Let me Shall just I? this and see what she's up to. Let me they, just see I have no idea just... if he or she, they are up to. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to say something that is very, probably going to be very sacrilegious. I tried watching Good Omens. I was bored to tears. I have not wa tried to watch it at all. I was so bored. Um, is that maybe worse? Get, uh, no. Well, I mean, I I started writing it. I started. Well, some people are writing. Some people are writing in it, right? And I was like, why is there a sudden exodus of people writing in Good Omens? People tell me, oh, the show is amazing, and I was like, okay, well, maybe I should give it. If the show's that good, maybe I'll give it a try. I, I was like, I can't even. This is so boring. <laughs> I um, I have Prime. I just haven't gone over there to watch it. Yeah. Well, I do I like David Tennant, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, I got like, 
I got, I think I got like five or six episodes in. I just went, oh, this is a snooze. I can't deal with this anymore. I'm not torturing myself to try to get fandom. So. <laughs> oh, you know, I think you've actually watched enough of the show. Um, just go, just, just go read the fandom. <laughs> yeah, just, just read the fanfic. Um, it could be that it takes a while, but I just, I'm just, I just, I have a hard time getting into shows where it takes me, where it takes that long. For, to Five get episodes is a little, is a little much. That's a lot of investment I mean, for me to feel like to have to go that far to get interested in the show. I just, it didn't take me five episodes to get interested in Franny Fisher. So I'm just saying, Jack Ryan is amazing. I've not watched Jack Ryan. I heard it's pretty rough. It is. It, it, it is. It is not an easy watch, but it is incredible. Um, I've also heard the boys is really, really violent. Um, my husband uh, watched watched um, a couple episodes, um, and uh, he was um, surprised by the uh, the level of violence in the boys. So um, be careful. Although he did, <sighs> my husband got y'all. He comes up here and he says that the Superman character, because you know the boys is. Uh, Basically, like I, I guess a satire of um, comic book or comic book world kind of thing. And there's a character who's got the powers of Superman, and he's fighting a bunch of guys. And this one guy comes at him, and he apparently he just grabs him and tosses him, and then continues to fight the other people. Well, about two minutes after he tosses him, that dude finally landed on a car behind him. <laughs> okay, and my husband laughed like a lunatic he thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever seen in his life and men 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 but you know the funny thing is sometimes it, it there's there has to be this i don't i don't know what the magical combination is about what what puts me there with a fandom or a character or whatever because like when i think about we've talked we talked before about um like I love, I love Franny Fisher. Not interested in writing her. Um, I, I love the closer. With I love the closer, and I fucking I, love the closer. No desire to write fan fiction of that. Partially, partially, part of it. I can, I can tell you what part of it is, which is that I'm a romance writer, right? And there's nowhere for me to go in that vein because I ship the fuck out of her with Fritz. Not interested in changing that, which leaves writing case fic, and I'm not interested in writing case fic. Right. In any uh, fandom, much less the closer. So, I was never tempted too much to write fan fiction for the closer, but um, Major Crimes. I kind of fell in love with the character of Sharon, and I could have been on board with that. But then they they hooked her up with Flynn, and I was like, okay. <laughs> it's like, well, if you're gonna go and do that, <laughs> I'm not mad. <laughs> Thank you. You know, honestly, watching Flynn, who is such a terrible, he's, he's so terrible. <laughs> One of my favorite lines in The Closer is when they've all threatened to resign if she's removed. Um, and she's dropping their res their resignation letters in the trash can. And she gets to his. And she knows he was on her team as a plant from the other guy, right? Mm -hmm. Um She's like, well, you never said anything nice about me. And he's like, Chief, you got some great legs. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite episodes of The Closer, bar none, is that episode where Flynn and what's his? Oh, Provenza? Provenza. Provenza. 
when they were going to go to the baseball game <gasps> and they found it. and they found that dead body in the garage and they're like but we've got tickets <laughs> so <laughs> they're like well it'll still be there when we get done with the game <laughs> and then and it and was the body was gone <laughs> And Provenza just didn't care, but Flynn was like, I, I just can't, Flynn couldn't deal. He's like, I can't deal with this. I cannot deal. And they go back and the body's gone. It was, it was, and, and her reaction to them, she was, she was so the disapproving mother in that, <laughs> She's in that episode. There are she some really the- awesome episodes of The Closer. Um, I really enjoyed the one where, I mean, I didn't enjoy it, but it was really extremely powerful um, when they're looking for that serial killer and she ends up in that that boat shop and she she realizes that she's that he's it that mm-hmm. she's found the bad guy and they fight i really deeply wish that she just shot philip stroh in the head um when when he broke in and tried to kill rusty but then they wouldn't have had him for future usage which is what they wanted in you know so that, yeah. that whole plot line was actually written for Brenda. Rusty would have been her foster son if um, the closer hadn't ended. So, um, so I really I mean, enjoyed Major Crimes. And Provenza is my favorite. When he's out there by the pool in that one episode pretending to be her. <laughs> yeah. Well, with with Brenda, the moment I saw... <laughs> From the first time I saw Brenda Lee on the, on the, on the screen with, with Fritz, I was like, oh, I ship it. I ship it 1000%. I'm all in. I'm all in on this pairing. And so when the canon pairing really works for you um, and they're together. Now, if the canon pairing, if, if these, if they're not together, right? If they're doing like that, we're not, we're never going to get these characters together and it really works for you. You got something to do because you got to go get your character together. If they're together in the show and you ship it and you're not interested in breaking them up and putting them with somebody else, what the fuck are you going to do? So yeah, so I did. So sometimes it's just it's like there's this combo of there's there's something there's something I got to do with this character. I got to get them with in a good pairing. Um, and for a long time, I was really wasn't interested in writing Genthic at all. It was, it was romance or nothing. And I did, I did kind of settle into f- finding some comfort with writing Gen occasionally when I had the story I wanted to tell anyway. And I think for me that was growth as a writer was that. Um, you know, if I had a story that didn't have any romance, then the story, if I had a story I wanted to tell and there was no romance in it, that that, that was fine. It was, it, it, believe me, it was hard to get to that place. Like, but what am I going to do about a pairing? That was what I'd asked myself. Right? Well, what am I going to well, do about a pairing? Problem? Right? But, um, so, but, you know, I, I do experiments in fandom sometimes. Like, um, I did, um, recently, um, sometimes you don't know until you try something if if it's going to really work for you or not. Uh, I decided to do pick up the Magnum PI prompt from the, the Every Fandom Reverse Bang, and I'd never written. I certainly hadn't written. You did a Magnum great job before. with that, by the way. I've never watched the show, and I was super comfortable reading it. Didn't have any stumbles. Thank you. Um, I watched the original show, but I haven't watched it anyway. Yeah, the reboot. Yeah, it. Um, I, I and and the and the artist said that it could be Jen or pairing, which is why I wrote it Jen. But you know, someone could easily read that as pre slash if they wanted to. Uh, 
but because I don't see them, because I have seen the show. I didn't see the chemistry in the pairing, so I didn't really write it that way. But I do see the, they have chemistry as friends. They're very kind of, they're funny together. Uh, but, you know, I tried it. I tried it. And it is set in, in the same universe. It is in the NCIS expanded universe, right? So MacGyver is in the same universe. Not MacGyver. But yes, MacGyver. But Magnum is in the same universe as NCIS and MacGyver and Scorpion and and and. and Hawaii Five-0 and, you know, all that other stuff. That's all in the same universe. Scorpion. Scorpion. It's like, how could that exist in the same universe as anything? But whatever. Okay. Yeah, Scorpion is part of that universe. Yeah, there's actually a crossover with Scorpion and NCIS LA. And there's a crossover with Hawaii Five-0 and MacGyver. Um, yeah, right? Scorpion uh, Scorpion um, they did a lot that lost me, but they lost me in a hysterical way over them reversing the flow of a river. River with some salt, <laughs> <laughs> with some salt. but whatever. <laughs> we just won't get into that. Um. So yeah, but th those those shows are all in the same universe. So it's really easy. You got to when you you know I'm writing in a fandom that's unfamiliar. Um, in terms of Magnum, uh. Usually, uh, me writing in a fandom that hasn't even been on the show a year is pretty unusual, just because I don't feel like the characters are fleshed out, the universe isn't fleshed out, but Magnum, you, it is part of that bigger universe that I am very familiar with, so that was an easy thing to, relatively easy to pick up and 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 try to work with an idea. Well, you have the tone already, you, you have the tone and the, and the, yeah, so, yeah. I could, I, I yeah. could that would be really easy to do. And I've seen the show. I've seen, I had seen, I've probably seen, you know, 10 episodes of the, the season so far. So it was, it, it was an easy experiment to do. Uh, I don't think I would write in that, you know, unless something really dramatic happens in that fandom that makes it take off for me or helps me reimagine it in a way that I don't see it right now. Um, I don't see me continuing to write in it, but experiments, you know, I, I, I've never had a problem trying writing experiments, you know, that's why there's only one story in leverage, you know. Uh, but for me, the fandoms that really have stuck for me have really, really stuck with me from a writing perspective are, I would say NCIS, but it really isn't the fandom. It, it's not it's NCIS that sticks with me. It's Tony that sticks with me. Uh, it, it is... Uh, Teen Wolf. It is um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, and MCU. It's MCU's got a lot of great characters that we need to, to take back and do some do better with. But also, there's just so much world there to play with, and so many concepts. It's just there's just so much potential, and 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 stuff to fix. So that's very appealing. And then I really do like. I have I have like so many plots worked up for Stargate Atlantis. I just, it's one of those things that always gets backburnered. It's one of those weird things. Some fandoms just, my Harry Potter, my Stargate ideas tend to get backburnered more than most of the other fandoms I try to write in. But for me, yeah, it's, it, it's pretty much uh, the, the character, the character, yeah. the character, the character, and occasionally the world. Well, see, I find a lot of potential in the Harry Potter world, but I, I have a hard time writing Harry as a central character. Um, 
then don't. So I don't. Well, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't so. write, I didn't write him as in my all th- on all three Harry Potter stories I've written. He has not been the central character. So I can make him cute and little. That's my preferred method. <laughs> I think it's important actually to um, to uh, not bow to fandom pressure when it comes to that kind of thing. Um, because if if you can't connect with the character, writing them is just going to be unfun. It's not fun. It's the opposite yeah. of fun. <laughs> well, it's... Um, I don't really have a unicorn in Harry Potter. Uh, it, it's definitely I don't have a central character that I would focus on in in, in in you know they would need to be there in every story. Yeah, it it just there isn't. And my central character in two stories has been Snape, and in one story it was serious. So that's not enough of a trend in any direction. Three, there's not enough of a sample there to determine any kind of trend. But yeah, at some shows, like you look at the, you go, okay, I know, I know if I wrote in that fandom, it would be that character is the one I'd be focusing on. Like, so like, oh, I have five O's. It's going to be McGarrett all the way for me. Um, 100%. On board that ship. <laughs> but the thing is, I wasn't interested in writing Hawaii five O until I read him paired with Tony because, and I don't mind putting Tony solidly in Hawaii. And that's actually my preference is to put Tony into the Hawaii five O universe because I'm not, but I, what I have read a few Steve Danny fix, but I just don't generally like them. Honestly, my, because um, except the in the who, fandom for that would probably be Joe Lawson. Lawson's amazing. Yeah, uh, that is an exception. But generally, my issue with the Tony Dan, the not Tony, the Danny, the the Steve Danny pairing is: do people capture Danny too well? And I don't like him. Right? <laughs> like, like you guys nailed him. Ugh. One of the reasons why I like Joe Lawson so much is that um, he tends to write AUs, um, and uh, Danny's a little different than he is in canon. Um, and less inclined to fuck his ex-wife while she's still married to somebody else. Yeah, the Megalodon shifter. That one was amazing. Amazing. I love it. Now, I was I wondering first... one where Danny was a merman. I dug that one too. Now, I first encountered Joe Lawson writing um, in, in uh, Magnificent Seven, which I think that those works are not online anymore. And that, so that was my first exposure to, to Joe Lawson. I was like, this writer is amazing. And then those I don't think those works were around. Or if they are, it's not the ones I remember. And then Joe Lawson's written in Teen Wolf? Sometimes you will encounter an author who will, um, who will um, inspire you. Yeah, Lady Raw's like that for me. It's like, oh, because I mean... I discovered that I'm pretty sure it was Lady Ross Scorpion's verse was how I discovered the Stargate and Sentinel crossovers. If you've never read Scorpions, I mean, you got to deal with the Scorpions are intense. She she is she doesn't she did she came did not come to play when she came came to all those fucking Scorpions, but and the Scorpions are literal here in the story. But her Scorpions verse, if you have not read that, I don't know, man. You need to get out there and read Scorpions because it is an incredible Stargate crossover. I'm going to say that and find that it's not online anymore. That's a, that I would say that the, the writers in the Hobbit fandom inspired me more than the original content. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. As much as the thing is, I loved The Hobbit. This is it. There's this weird. This it's a it's this funny disconnect because I loved The Hobbit movies, right? I never thought, read saw The Hobbit movies or read the book. And went, where's the fandom for this? I just didn't. My brain didn't go there. And then Starkindler is writing in in um, in the Hobbit, you know, and I start I start reading, and I was like, that the new Kirk isn't half Betazoid or a third Betazoid. You're just not going to do it. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm with you there. But yeah, some some um, writers. Uh, another writer that writes M M. Not writes NCIS. Well, I couldn't come up with the name of that fucking fandom. What is the matter with me? Wow. Um, yeah, right. Another writer that I read the first read through through NCIS, and I read other things I written was Rage Prue, Rage Prue Frock Prue. Her work. Oh is yes. Read everything. Prue used to have the most popular um, story on Ao3, and it was a short. It and it was like any. It, short stories usually just don't rise to the top of the kudos heap on on AO3. They usually don't. And Rage Proof Rock, um, Prue for short. Uh, and this one little short she wrote for NCIS. I think it's under five k. It for a long time it was the most popular thing in the NCIS fandom. It was amazing. So there's some writers you st you stumble across and you're like, wow, this is just this this what this person did made me want to write. the The person who made me want to write Steve with other people is uh, Shade Shifter. Shifty totally brought that home with the How to Court an Emotionally Guarded Ex Federal Agent series that she did, which I actually think is called I want to say it's called Dance the Tides or something like that. That was the first time. And I didn't even realize that that Hawaii Five O was in the same universe as, as NCIS at the time. I it didn't gel with me, right? And so she puts a little note in there that she, you know she she says I I can't believe nobody else is writing this because these two characters are technically in the same universe. And I went, are they? You mean there's somebody in that universe that I could ship Tony with? <laughs> really? And the mothership was born. I don't actually know if Shifty's the first person who wrote it, but she's definitely the first person I read who wrote that. And it is glorious. Yeah, highly classified and very hush hush um, by Rage Proof Rock is um, it's 1700 words and it's it's gen oh, amazing. It, it's banging. It's banging. Yeah, Ellie says the summary, right? It gets you right the summary. Gibbs sometimes wonders what he did to deserve these morons. But then he looks through the one way window at three naked and extremely uncomfortable looking Marines and figures it could be worse. <laughs> at least get to put up with those guys. My question is how did those dudes get all the way to the damn interrogation room without somebody giving them some clothes? Well, they may have kept them, they may have done that on purpose. It's like you guys brought this shit on yourselves. And the view's not bad. <laughs> yeah, Shadow says the walk of shame. Yeah. So to the original person question, person, I think it was a really thought-provoking question, the person who asked this, is what, what takes you there? Um, and I guess for me, most of the time, fandom takes me there. Someone else 
imagine the character in a way that I want, that I really loved. I was like, liked more than I saw on screen or in the book or whatever. Most of the time, it's it's something that fandom incepts me into. You know, it's like, okay, headcanon accepted. This character needs to be with that character. Or, you know, Blair will be much better off at the SGC. I'm all in on that. Or there needs to be a Sentinel fusion with every fandom. Yes, I'm there. Um, <laughs> I find, like, I do have readers who would very much prefer that if I just stuck in their fandom and didn't wonder. but. That'd be real boring for me. Very. I mean, I have. A, there I are have some a- writers who are very comfortable sticking in one fandom forever, and that's great for them. But I'm just not. I'm not that writer. I need variety. No. I can't be no. in the mission, the missionary position every damn night, you guys. But it's good when my knees are bothering me. <laughs> Sometimes I need to get on top. <laughs> well, since I, I prefer from the back, you know. <laughs> or but, whatever. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm just, but my, it's like my knees are bugging me, so I'm going to bend over for this one, okay? <laughs> um, we have no shame on this channel. <laughs> so... Yeah, I don't want to write just in now. I, I really, I could write. I could be, I could pull Tony into so many different universes and have a grand old time with that. Um, but, and I know I have, I have, believe me, I've heard about it. That, and because I have done that, because I've put Tony in Teen Wolf and I've put Tony in the MCU with the other Tony, um, and and Tony in in with numbers and I've, and and Tony with criminal minds, whatever, because I've done this, there is an expectation from some of my readers that every story I publish, regardless of fandom is going to have Tony in it. Mm -mm. It just doesn't work that way. Um, There are a couple people who expressed some real disappointment in my quantum bang story that it didn't have Tony in it. Well, just, I don't plot Tony into every single thing I work on. And, uh, what role would he have played? I mean, that's the thing. When you when you're talking to, I mean, someone asked me earlier. Um, there was a question on my site about whether or not I would write a Harry Potter um, NCIS crossover, and I just don't see it. I mean, some writers write it. I just don't see it. I um, and I responded to that on my site with that I just I just don't see it. Um, the only reason that I would write Harry Potter into the NCIS world is to have him grow up in the muggle world um, away from magical Britain. Um, otherwise, there's no reason why he I can't write him with a canon character um, raising him, specifically Sirius. So, um, or even Minerva McGonagall would be a better choice. Um, I just don't... Also, I don't want to write Harry in a situation where he comes into the magical world more ignorant of his circumstances than he already does in canon, which is what would happen if I had him raised in America by Dinozo or Gibbs. Um, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, I can't go there in my head. When What's the point? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see me writing. I mean, yes, I did two little shorts with that. Um, but I don't see me writing, wouldn't see me writing anything novel length with that crossover. Uh, if I want him raised by two dudes, um, there's uh, there's a couple of dudes on Baker Street that will do. Yeah. So, I mean, whereas I think it could be done in a way that would satisfy your objections to it, it's, it's, why, why would you have to, if it doesn't appeal to you, why would you jump through all those hoops? And it would be a lot of hoops for me, and it would be a lot of, I would have to, I would have to spend, it would take three times as much work to write him being raised by Gibbs or Dinozo than it would be for me to write him being raised by Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. So it's totally, I mean, what, whatever, what, what the individual wants to do is totally fine, but I, I'm not particularly with the shorts, with those one K shorts, it's really easy to just hand wave away that, you know, okay. Tobias is a wizard and Tony shacks up with Zale and Zale handles all the wizard stuff. Um, you know, it doesn't mm. actually have to make a lot of sense because it's a, a thousand words, right? Um, even though I actually did try to work it all out in my head how all that worked down. But the biggest problem actually for me was reconciling the timeline issues, but set that aside. Um, it's just some crossovers are particularly improbable for me. And I did it in the short because it was entertaining, but I don't see me doing it. That's something like that novel length. Um, now, I have seen people do some very entertaining things with... Tony in the wizarding world, but that's a little bit different than Harry being raised in the, in the muggle world. Um, but it's just something just, it's like conceptually you go, why would I want to jump through, you know, you hear an idea and you go, well, this isn't really, this is not that all that interesting. And I'd have to jump through a lot of hoops. And why would I want to jump through a lot of hoops to make something happen that well, I can do this over here instead. It's really entertaining to me. Yeah. That captures my imagination. So um, I was also asked earlier today that I was I wasn't asked. There was speculation in a group that I belong to where I was mentioned how I write Stargate and I also write Harry Potter. So any day now they expect basically me to write a crossover. And no, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean I know that there are some Harry Potter Stargate crossovers out there. I've honestly never read one because the idea makes my head go tilt. I was read a summary of one where John Shepard was actually a Garnet Harry Potter. That still and he makes was my head hiding go from tilt. the magical world. My head is still tilting. I have not untilted. Yeah. I, 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 I can't go there. I there, just, there are too many. You can't mix two big secrets like uh, magic and the Stargate. And it's a lot for me in my head. Yeah, because I, I'm the kind of writer that would try to reconcile all the problems. And it's so much work. You could do it. I just have so many other things I'd rather do than put the effort into reconciling the contradictions between big secret fandoms. So, um, I, mean, I could spend 50k just explaining that. And who has time for that shit? Yeah. Yeah. I also don't really see Harry and John as being at all similar, quite frankly. So, but anyway, um, I mean, kudos to people who put the time into to making that stuff work. Um, the problem is, for me, honestly, is wizards landing in the Stargate universe, especially if they have their wizard powers. That is, a, there's a lot of literal wand waving 
that could result in a lot of just problems resolved too easily. And sometimes in some, it, your conflict is like half the battle, right? And when you've got wizards who can wand wave everything away, I don't know. It just feels a little. Some fandoms merge beautifully in my head and some don't. Yeah. Like and Harry, uh, Hobbit and Harry Potter, game on. Um, Harry Potter and practically any other fandom, it gets difficult. Yeah. I have a hard time with Harry Potter in almost anything, honestly. I mean, with um, probably with Sherlock, but even then, why? Why have him raised by Sherlock Holmes? Why? I mean, I've read some cute stories where where story Harry is raised by Sherlock, and it could be that it could be because they don't want to make an OC, and there aren't really any good, you know, their options in canon are limited that they yeah. want to work with. I mean, there I could see how people could get there. It's just I just personally wouldn't go there. So, as a writer, now, I've, like I said, I clearly I've read it because I have read a couple of stories where Sherlock raises Harry. I've read a couple of those, and sometimes they're very entertaining. Um, it's just not what I would. It, it doesn't capture my interest. Um, so no, but no, I don't always put Tony in every story I write. He's not going to be in every. He will be in some Teen Wolf stories I write, but he will not be in every Teen Wolf story that I write. Um, he will be in some of the MCU stuff, but he won't be in all of it. And he will never be in any of the Hobbit or Harry Potter stuff. Not anything that's significant. I mean, yes, in, he was in those couple of Harry Potter shorts, but I don't plan to have a, a Tony Donozo cameo in Slytherin Black or a Leo Moto or something. That doesn't make any sense. Now, I did write a fusion. Uh, not write. I did plot a fusion with Tony in the Star Trek universe, but we could entirely blame the plot money for that on Sunrider who wrote fate protects fools, small children and ships named valor because Sunrider is the fusion God. So I'm just saying this is again, right? Yeah. This is again, a case of where a writer can really a fandom. This a story that you've read can really influence you in how you I perceive. What voodoo magic are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> What did you smoke? Is it legal here? And can I get some? <laughs> Just don't let Alex Shepard. <laughs> um, I would never, I would never cast an OC to played by Michael Weatherly ever, except Alex Shepard, which Alex Shepard is technically kind of OC ish. But I, I think mean, people understand. I did it, but then I had to recast him to, in, in in order to use Tony Dinozo. Yeah, but I mean, because, but you weren't a Tony-centric writer when you did that. Right. So, but for me, for me, for me. I did it because people kept asking me if I was going to put Dinozo in or if I was going to do some NCIS. I'm like, nope, but here you go. Yeah. (laughs) Which is also how Jensen Ackles ended up being on my casting list for Matt because people wanted me to write Supernatural, not ever happening. And that's much firmer than her never writing NCIS because she did sort of do that, kind of. She really just absconded with Tony and gave him to Steve. And we're fine yeah. with that. Yeah. But yeah, I would never, once I'm writing a character, and actually, honestly, this is just a me thing, but like any char- fandom I actually majorly read in, I would never cast an OC as an actor from 
I would never cast an OC as anyone from anybody in the star, as any actor who was in the Stargate universe or any actor who was. Cause then it makes it weird. And well, if I, if, especially if I ever want to crossover, I mean, what am I, what, what am I going to do if my OC is, it's just, it's just, it, this is something my brain stumbles over. Somebody else's brain may not go there, stumble there, but mine does. Um, I don't need that kind of confusion in my head canon. Yeah, I did a. I, I mean, I have an OC played by that I cast Benedict Cumberbatch as before Doctor Strange was even announced as a potential fandom, a potential movie. I didn't even know, and I certainly didn't know he was cast in it. So, you know, now I have this thing. Like, I have an OC I can't, can't use in any kind of, you know, Denozo in the, in the MCU universe because. They both played by Benedict Cumberbatch. It's just, it's a stumbling point for me. So normally, you know, I try to avoid that kind of thing. And I, when I, when I used Benedict Cumberbatch, it wasn't an issue because I never planned on writing Sherlock fan fiction. So I read, I didn't read a ton of Sherlock. I barely, I mean, I read like less than 50 stories total in that fandom, I would guess. So it was never a big fandom for me. It was like, I'd read things on recommendation only. So, you know. But yeah, I would never cast ever cast an a, an original character as played by Michael to be played by Michael Weatherly. It was just I feel that way about David Hewlett and Joe Flanagan, and probably Daniel Radcliffe. But yeah, those three. David Hewlett will forever be Rodney McKay. Period. Yeah. Well, I, I don't I don't see me using um, ever for a, an OC. I don't see me using David Hewlett or Joe Flanagan, or um, now I did use um, Jason Momoa for an OC. Um, I actually have a um, character in mind for casting Emma Watson actually in a future um, uh, installment of Lantian Legacy, and since I would never cross Harry Potter and Stargate. Um, yeah, in, in that manner, it, it it is is a big deal to me. Yeah, if the fandoms never have a chance of touching, um, but the main characters, I just wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't use them. But yeah, I I used um I used Jason Momoa as an OC uh, a long time ago, but I was never really, I never, honestly, at the time, it never occurred to me that I would ever write a story with Ronan Dex as as part of the main pairing, even though I really liked Ronan, it just didn't occur to me. So it's just one of those things. If, if I've used a character in a main pairing, I don't think I would ever use them as an OC casting. That might be, that might be the, that what, what the boundary line is for me is that if I've used a character in a main pairing, I would never cast them elsewhere. Well, I'm, I'm kind of torn between um, Emma Watson and Jennifer Lawrence. Um, so it would just depend. Whatever works best for your character. Exactly. I just did something really unfortunate when I was doodling. Um, I turned my notebook over and so I was writing on the back of a page. And um, it's a notebook that has three holes in it, right? So I just put little dashes all around the hole. Why? I was just doodling and now it looks like a bowl. <laughs> <laughs> She made a butt. I was 
Freudian. <laughs> well, if there's something on my mind, Julie started it. <laughs> yeah, it was my fault. She, she started dashing when I was talking, so... <laughs> Or she became dashing, or I don't know. She did something. <laughs> we are not back to colonics until you said that because we just she just drew an asshole. She didn't draw something <laughs> in the asshole. Right? Just saying. But yeah, for me, it's it's you know, it's a mixture of the two. Um, and more often than not, I'm more inspired by the fandom than I am the actual content of yeah. the the book or the show or the movie. Um, there are rare exceptions, like I think Inception was just just astronomically um inspiring. Cause when I got out of the um theater, I came home to look to look, got online, gotta look I gotta look at this fandom. I gotta look at this fandom. What do you mean, Dom and Arthur? No. <laughs> out of your fucking... that shit out right now. What? <laughs> that was the well, first thing I encountered was a Dom and Arthur fic. And I was like, hell no. <laughs> what? Now, I will say conversely, sometimes there is there is the downside of this is sometimes fandom can ruin a pairing for you or ruin a fandom for you. Case in point, Supernatural. Although in your case... Um, Supernatural ruined the show for me. The fandom, I never got to actually watch the show because I stumbled across just a Supernatural fan fiction and it had incest in it. And I was like, is this what the fandom's about? And I go over to AO3 and the incest tag is humongous. I'm thinking to myself, okay, these are the ones that are actually marked incest. How many are there out there that are not marked incest? It's like a minefield. I can't read here. Fuck it. I can't even watch the show. Yeah. I'm done. Well, I I started watching I watched Supernatural the night it premiered. I mean, so I was first season I was in there. There wasn't any fandom when I was watching it. Um, but I got bored with it pretty quickly. <laughs> I did. I got I, I got like through the first season. I was like, this is so repetitive, I can't deal with this. And um, they're just gonna go on a hunt every week, you know, and yet another increasingly improbable monsters week after week. So I got pretty bored pretty quickly with Supernatural. And I do think it got, you know, people told me it got more interesting later on. Um, and then it kind of, you know, the show really took off and it was really popular. And I did like wonder what fandom was doing with it, you know, because like maybe I'll go back to the show and try to watch the show again. And I went to go check out what fandom was doing. And I was like, that's what fandom doing? That's what they got out of that show? Boy, it really changed from what I watched. <laughs> um so, dudes, um, the Jurassic World fandom, you gotta be real careful. Don't. Just don't. If it isn't the dinosaurs, I don't know what's actually worse in the Jurassic or... World, um, especially in the, fir uh, when the first movie came out. Um, I don't know what was worse. The, the dinosaur porn or um, the, the dinosaur bestiality porn or the, the pedophilia. Um, because oh, or the incest pedophilia because right? there's a, fair, because there's a Zach and Gray Zach or and Gray, Owen yeah. and Gray, and I'm like, what is wrong with all of you assholes? 
Why is this? And the thing is, I, I honestly didn't occur to me to check out the Jurassic World fandom until somebody told me about all the porn. I mean, the pedo and the, and the dino porn. Because I didn't see any potential. I saw, I saw the movie and I didn't, it did, fandom didn't even cross my mind. It didn't even cross my mind. So I was like, there's nothing to do here. There's nothing to do here. So I just didn't even check it out until I heard about, like, you know, that, like, one of the big ships involved the brothers. I was like, the brothers? What are you talking about? This is not supernatural. They're both underage. <laughs> and one and of them one is of a the child. child. Yeah. That's, that, that was my response. That's my response to that kind of thing. I was like, this is not supernatural. Um, well, the, one of the first fix I, I saw um, outside of the pedo, which I immediately um, filtered out, um, was Blue and Owen. And your first thought was, this is somebody who doesn't know what the slash means. Nope. They right? Didn't. So, um, I click on it, and Blue is suddenly a boy. I thought, well, that's... That's... Contrary to canon. Okay. Oh, oh, wait, close. <laughs> because Blue got turned into a boy for a very specific reason. And I think we all know what that reason is. Yeah. And there is an issue sometimes with people not knowing what the slash means. And they'll come and go, oh, well, I learned it different. No, you didn't. You just didn't understand. Okay. There is no other way to use the slash. It means a fucking romantic pairing and you're just using it wrong. And somebody's going to get butt hurt and email me about that, but I just don't care. Because you're um, wrong, assholes. You're wrong. Sometimes you're just doing something wrong. Okay. Just, that the slash, just, the slash, just take it and accept it. The slash came from, as we've said before, between Kirk and Spock. Kirk slash Spock. It is the origins of the fucking way we, the lexicon we use and how we describe pairings in fan fiction. So just because you want to be a special little flower, you unique little snowflake out there, does not mean that you're actually correct. So you're just wrong. Anyway, moving on. But <laughs> fandom can totally ruin. Um, ruin you. So I I was curious about the Fast and the Furious fandom. Now I'm sure there actually is a fair amount of good Fast and the Furious um, fan fiction out there. But the first writer I ran across wrote some very ugly themes in that. And I really just upset me. And by the time I was willing to revisit that fandom, um, I'm blanking on the name of the actor. Why am I blanking on the name of the actor? Paul Walker? Paul Walker. Paul Walker. Paul Walker had died. And I was like, no, I'm not interested in the fandom now. Um, and that was about how long it took me to get over um, my feelings about those first few fan fictions, fanfics that I ran across in that fandom. And, um, and then Paul Walker died. And I wasn't feeling like reading stories with Brian as a lead character. So yeah, it was, I was heartbroken too. I was, was very sad. So, but I've, I've actually think that there've been fandoms I've been just completely turned off with by the, that's why I'm careful. Like when I'm going into a new fandom to either go with an author that I um, know and, and trust what they're going to write or get a wreck from somebody that I know that trust because getting a wreck for a story that is you know gonna like burn you can 
it, it, you may never make it back to that fandom again. It can permanently taint your perspective on a character. Unfortunately. I wish that wasn't the way that that went down, but I do think that that's true. And to destroy your faith in humanity, that too, Dark. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I was put off writing Slash for a year over an animated GIF. Something can really throw you off, so... I think Teen Wolf did their best to kill their fandom. But their they fandom... Their fandom at pace, and their show yeah. is over. Yeah, the fandom just double-birded them and kept on doing what they wanted to do. Sometimes the show kills a fandom for me. Um... I never saw any, like, the, the example given, somebody said that, this said in the chat room, and, and they said their example was House. I actually never saw potential for House in, as, as a fandom, personally. I mean, the show lost lost the plot, for sure. But I just never went um, a, grump, a grumpy misanthrope with addiction issues was just not the character that's going to capture my attention and get me in the door, so to speak. But we all, every, you know, different strokes, different folks. Your mileage may vary. You do you. Pick, pick, a, pick a catchphrase, you know. Um, the fandom can definitely kill my interest in a fandom. Um, sometimes the actors who play the parts can kill my interest in a fandom. Um, and sometimes it's the show's content itself that can kill my interest um, so thoroughly in the fandom. And I think NCIS, and particularly um, Mark Harmon, has done that for me. Mm -hmm. um, I He's a dick. And, uh, <laughs> and Gibbs is so abusive. Um, I, well, I'm very careful not to read um, like gossip about celebrities as much as possible. Although people love to send me links about, have you heard what so and so did? I'm like, please don't do this to me. Um, so I could have stayed insulated from like the Mark Harmon rumors and stuff if I, you know, if, if I was just protecting my headspace around that. But his character is just such a nightmare on the show. They took him in such an awful direction that I'm like, I have no headspace to protect when it comes with him because the character is a nightmare. So, yeah, I am interested in the character, not the actor, but sometimes when an actor really, when you find out something really awful about an actor, it can really affect your ability to write the characters that they play, unless you recast or something. I mean, that can be a really big issue. Um, I don't want to get into any kind of specifics. So, it's really difficult, like, when I try to protect my headspace about not learning, like, not following gossip sites or um, that kind of thing. When people just, like, fling them at me and they tag me on it. It's just like, I just, there was one day I just started, I, I had to untag myself at least 15 times from gossip articles. And there may have been factual information in there. I don't know. It may not have been gossip. It may have been, although I will say there was no, no reputable site that I was tagged in on that particular string of It's kind of hard to tags. get around not know what Thomas Gibson did because he got fired for it. Um, but, um, I was gonna, I was gonna say something. Oh, one of my favorites one of my favorite movies of all time has been ruined by the actions of an actor. 
And that would be um, Star Trek's a motion picture. I can't get past it. I tried watching it a couple months ago and I was just like, God, I can't stand to look at him. I just can't. The actor who played Decker on um, Star Trek, the motion picture is a pedophile. And it just, it, <sighs> it is really difficult. Yeah. A convicted pedophile. Um, it is really difficult to, to watch that movie. And it was one of my favorite Star Trek movies. Um, my second favorite being Star Trek Undiscovered Country. Um, and it's just. <sighs> I never watched Seventh Heaven. So I wasn't necessarily, you know, um, destroyed by that part. But I imagine that a lot of people, fans of that show, considering its themes of um, uh, family and um, Christian values, were deeply betrayed by his. I. Sometimes it's hard to hide from the actions that an actor does. This is what I'm, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, sometimes you just can't. It's really hard to overlook. Yeah, which is why you know if it's not something that there when once something rises to the level of sexual prison assault, sentence. child abuse, well, sexual if it. Sometimes they don't go to prison, right? But if they admit to sexual assault, child abuse, um, rape, murder, that kind of thing, I just that's it. I don't want I don't want to see them in anything. I just want to have any. I, it has nothing, you know. My ability to compartmentalize is pretty good, which is why if it's something that is not on that scale, I just don't want to know. They 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 robbed they cheated somebody out of their taxes or they didn't because honestly it would really upset me if if there was if a celebrity was stiffing um, their contractors refusing to pay them or um, manipulating people or stealing money from people it's like you got all this money and you have to act like that so I don't need to know about that kind of stuff because it does affect my ability to compartmentalize the the thing with Thomas Gibson here's the thing about that um, Aaron Hoshner himself is kind of a dick. So, finding out that Thomas Gibson's kind of a dick really didn't ruin the character for me too much. It does make me not want to write him um, in my Ties That Bind crossover. Um, because I had originally planned to write him as a dom. Um, and that requires, you know, self-control and discipline. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm having to work my way back into the point where I can... Um, create that headspace for Aaron Hoshner separately from the actions of Thomas Gibson. And I'd like to get there because I have a, I have some really good um, plot for that. So. But sometimes I have seen sometimes I'm not a big fan of recasting, but sometimes recasting does let people get around an issue with an actor and if that helps you if, if that's a strategy for you you know i'd say go for it if that helps you get past if you really like a character and an actor has done something and it helps you to recast and reimagine that character is a different actor go nuts recast away yeah i always use the original elizabeth when i'm not gonna make her an asshole and when she's gonna be an asshole she's the second casting 
She's gonna be crazy. <laughs> but I don't consider that a recasting because that right, because is they're that both. She, she she actually played the role. You know that's, but like um. I don't know who I would recast as Aaron Hotchner though. I was the the I can't remember. I think it, uh, the actor's name just went out of my head. That's who I would who I would put in the role. Oh, um, I'm not mad, Lady Holder. That's not bad. Yeah, the first person who who crossed my mind, um, but I think he's already in use in Ties That Bind is Jeffrey Dean Morgan. He is. Yeah. He's um Blake. Blake, yeah. Yeah. No. no. George Eads? George, George Eads? Eads? No. 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 I mean I like him. But not as not as Hotch. Not as Hotchner. But Richard Armitage has got a lot of appeal. I mean, yeah. a lot of appeal. You know, I love Jeffrey Dean Moore. Have you seen Rampage, Shadow? Because you... <laughs> if you want to, yeah, if you want to get a different perspective on Jeffrey Dean Morgan, you got to go watch Rampage. Because it is... He is fantastic. fucking hysterical. That Great. expression on That expression on his face when that when that accident at the end happens. Mm. Like, ooh. It's just his whole, his whole, he just kind of makes this kind of wince. It's that wince was just hysterical. I don't, and also, he, I don't, did, did they intend for him to lose that much? Did he seem like a string bean in that? He seemed very small. I, he seemed um, very, I wonder if he'd been sick. Yeah, he seemed very if, thin if, to me. I was like, if, if he'd been I, sick or something. So I, I didn't know you were that I didn't know your hips were that non-existent. <laughs> he got small, so I yeah. was wondering if he'd actually been. Sn no, not the Rock. Um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan um, had gotten. He lost a lot of weight before he did that role in Rampage. Um, he just seemed small. Yeah, he seemed very. No, this is this is not. This is objectively. He, because we're not talking about even scenes when The Rock wasn't on the screen, like when he, at the end The Rock wasn't on the screen with him, um, when he took possession of that rat. I mean, and, he looked like he'd lost forty or fifty pounds. Yeah, he looked very. So I was like, I, I honestly wondered if, if, if he'd gone through a protracted illness. Here's a picture. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Oh, well, you know, he's not, he's, he's not a bad choice either. Dark. I have to say, um, that is a nice choice. Dark. I will add him to my list. Maybe we'll do a casting couch. <laughs> we haven't done one of those in a very long time, but just look at how, how thin in the chest and in the hips and stuff he is in that picture. He just seemed a lot smaller to me. I yeah, he does. So yeah, he looks thin. So and it, it is, and yes, the rock is enormous, but he's thin next to the woman he's standing next to too. So so Reaper says that he lost about forty pounds for Texas Rising. So I don't know if that was before or after this, but uh, apparently there was. It was yeah. 
but he was he was great in the role. He was great. So it's fantastic. Wanna, it's it's completely different from anything else he's ever played. Um, so about Kate and Leopold, Liv Schreiber was in oh, that. Okay. He played her brother. Oh, okay. Not a, not not a bad guy, but kind of a dumbass. <laughs> it's a charming movie, Kate and Leopold. It's a time travel movie about um, uh, Hugh Jackman's character is from the past. Yeah, he's from the past, um, and he uh, he comes to the future and he ends up falling in love with Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan's character, um, and um, he eventually has to go back to his time because it turns out um, that he he invented something that uh, led to the um, in the movie it led to the creation of the elevator, and when he had decided to stay, the elevators all over the world stopped working. Very convoluted but um anyway so he had to go back in time so it's so elevators would work <laughs> just and she ends up following him it's just a charming romantic comedy that makes no sense but you know they also time travel by jumping off a bridge so um actually i think the first time i encountered mads mickelson i do think he plays the villain very well but i think the first time i encountered him was in King Arthur, and he was not, um, he was definitely not a villain in that. He played one of the Knights of the Round Table, didn't he? Lady Holder would have the specifics, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. He played Tristan. That's right. And did it very well, too. I think he probably excels at playing crazy. Josh... I forget his last name. He was in, um, yeah, I couldn't pronounce that. Duomel, Duomel. Yeah, he was. But I was thinking more of the the Transformer movie. Actually, um, I barely watched the show Las Vegas. My husband watched it because he had a boner for that girl who played the. Um... Oh, what's her name? Megan Fox. Or no, Las I mean, Las, Las, Las Vegas. Vegas. Mm. Um, I was never uh, interested in Las Vegas. Uh, she, uh, no, the, no, the, no. He, my my husband cannot stand a blonde-headed woman. Um, uh, the dark-headed one that was doing the, um, she was like the the hostess who did the brought in the big sharks and you know got them all the whales. Samantha. Samantha. Vanessa Marcel. He was all about her. Well, anyway, so do we have anything more on the what fandom thing? Because I feel I feel the bathroom screaming for me. <laughs> so if we have more to talk about here, I will come back. But otherwise, I will just wait till we're done, and I will go. I think we're. I, I think we've covered it. Um... I can't say I blame him because she's hot. Yeah. She's hot. Um, Gina Phillips. Apparently is her name. 
Anyway. But I will say one of the things, just as a just as a final note about them, one of the things that's never gotten me interested in writing in a fandom is someone asking me if I would be interested in writing in a fandom. I'm just <laughs> throwing that out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's never worked that way. Ever. Ever, ever. Did Ellie just get yeah, us a I agree. Couch? I don't really need um well Gerard Butler's out automatically because he's actually in ties to find um already. That's Gerard Butler, and Gerard Butler is um, Gerard, Gerard Desaad, and he's actually, yeah, he's Aaron Hotshur's pleasure master. Anywho, oh, that's Richard so, Armitage. Anyway, yeah, I think we're, I think we're good. But do you have you ever been interested in a fandom by somebody asking you to write in it? No, never. I mean, it's just never happened that way. No. In fact, the more somebody asks me to write in a fandom, the more the the less inclined I am to do it. Cause I'm a contrary bitch. That she is. <laughs> yeah, just not inclined to. Oh, I'm an, I'm not mad at that because the guy who played Bernard and Grimm is. <laughs> Oh, uh, Sasha. <laughs> Sasha, Sasha was hot. hot. And did hot. you notice that he, if, if you watch Grimm, he went from good looking to holy shit. Like in a period of like, I don't know, like mid season, first season, to the, like the second season, he went from what happened? <laughs> yeah, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Because he went from good looking to holy shit. <laughs> Can I sit in your lap? <laughs> yeah, he's beautiful. He's beautiful. And I, I could see him playing, being recast as Hotch. That's not... And he's he's played that kind of role already. So you got the mental pictures kind of all, all in. Yeah. <sighs> no, you don't. I, mean, I think it'll probably be either him or Richard Armitage because both of them are really appealing and recasting him is um, really appealing Let, as well. I think, they, I think they have a really a vibe that really works to step into that role. Both of them do. Mm -hmm. How dare you, Dark? How dare you end it on that note? <sighs> Feeling all heffy now. She's not sorry. <laughs> I think my brain just went offline. <laughs> oh, you know, honestly, Ellie, that vote didn't need padding because what? <laughs> There's like this moment in Grimm where you realized that he, that he stopped being good looking and he became this. He's a beast. <laughs> You're like you're like I don't I don't care how ugly you get when you use your powers, dude. I'm I'm I'm, I'm all for this. I'm all it's fine. It, I'm fine. Anyways, um, let me find the damn thing. Okay, so uh, I hope that this answered the question and um and all that jazz. And um, we shall we shall catch you later. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone.